Hey everybody, it's Brent Wallace from the Wally Mathod Show, and you're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Going everybody, welcome to the Third Line Plugs Sensecast. I am your host Taylor Gibson. Joining me as always from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host Tim Jazzy. Tim, how's it going, sir? Uh, it's going good, going good. Uh, had to shovel a pretty good amount of snow this morning, but other than that, can't complain. Yeah. Well, when you're talking like a good amount of snow, how much snow did you guys get? Uh, I want to say six inches overnight. Okay, was it the light fluffy stuff or was it the... It was wet. Ooh. See, that's tough because I know we've talked about this on the podcast in the, in the past is that, see, I can deal with the snow if it's like the light powdery stuff, not when it's wet. No. Which is what it's always here. It's always wet because you're so humid out here, right? So. Yeah, but at the same time, if you have a good shovel, it isn't the worst. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Actually, I learned through this past winter that i mean if you have say a pick or um or a bar if you just start banging on the ground and all the ice will separate it's pretty good yeah you just have to be very careful that you don't wreck your driveway while you're doing that yeah well thankfully it was on the sidewalk so it wasn't a big deal but still i mean if you do enough damage to the sidewalk bylaw will come and you will pay to fix it at city rates Ouch. So, Tim, we're going to have a great episode we're going to talk about today. Obviously, we got a great cover athlete to talk about, lots of stuff, including four games. But before we get any further, alert, 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 alert. So, I'm very proud to announce for next week's episode, we've got a special guest co host. And for this for that episode, we're going to have Scott Cowan from the Puck and Roll podcast. He's a big-time Montreal Canadiens fan, and obviously, I think we talked about this on the podcast, that when we were doing our season preview show, I accidentally double-booked for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. Scott was one of them, and unfortunately, Scott got replaced with Chris, and I felt so bad. I'm like, you know what? Let's get him on the podcast when Montreal plays, and obviously, the Habs are playing the Sens next Saturday night, so it's going to be good. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to get the opinion of someone who's in it. Because we've all read the Players' Tribute article about being in one. And that whole Montreal Canadiens team is in one. One of the guys that I work with is a big Habs fan who lives in Ottawa and Quebecois guy, born in Montreal. And yeah, it's just like, yeah, the firing was coming, but... (laughs) It was, but you know what? Looks like, and we'll talk about this on top of the air, because it looks like Montreal's finally rooting themselves in the right direction so it's gonna be good man it's gonna be well, good times had by all exactly exactly 
Now, another thing that is going to be good times, we can talk about today's, today's cover athlete because we've got a big name on the board for today's episode. Today's episode is Season 5, Episode 18, in chronological order, Episode 114, the Radic Bonk edition of the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. So just a little background about Radic Bonk. He was drafted third overall by the Ottawa Senators in 1994. He spent 10 seasons with the Senators, recording 152 goals, 247 assists for 399 points in 689 games. He'd be traded to the Los Angeles Kings at the 2004 NHL draft for a third, then later flipped the same day from LA to the Montreal Canadiens for Christo- with Cristobal Huey for Matty Garon and a third round pick in 2004. And we could talk about our memories all day of Radic Bonk, but why don't we have someone come in who had some real life experience with Mr. Bonk? I got to tell you, Tim, after all these years, I'm glad that you see you're working on your segues and you're absolutely right. So for those who may not know, we did an exclusive interview with former TSN correspondent turned co-host of the Wally Thought show, Mr. Brett Wallace. And he was very, very nice enough to record a little piece for our episode today, talking about Radic Bonk. So without further ado, Tim, let's throw it over to Mr. Brent Wallace. So, Tim, I'm very excited. We did an exclusive interview with former TSN, now Wally Mathot Show co-host Brett Wallace, and he's joining us right now to talk about our cover athlete for today's episode, Season 5, Episode 18, in chronological order, Episode 114, the Radic Bonk edition of the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Brent, when talking about Radic Bonk, and you covered the Ottawa Senators for a number of years, what kind of memories do you have of Radic Bonk? Cranky. <laughs> so he always had the stall located closest to the showers and the way you could get out. He's a good dude, he's fun. He didn't always wanna hang out with the media. So he would try to get his gear off and get out as soon as he could. I liked Radic, we co- I covered him a long time. He never really got, I don't think the recognition he deserved. He put up big numbers, I think for Ottawa. Uh, was he a true number one center? Probably not, but when you've got Yashin and Bonk one too, that's a pretty good lineup if you could get Yashin to play most nights. So. Radic and Marion Hosa were something to watch. Like that pairing was extremely good duo. They got along really well. They really liked playing with one another for the most part. And, and Bonky was always enter- entertaining when it came to Haas because at the time Haas was tearing it up. And every time we'd ask, and you always have to go to the other guy to go, hey, what do you think of your line mate? Because we're lazy and didn't want to come up with different questions. He'd be like, what am I, his fucking agent? So that's Radic Bonk. Very, and he's always been around now. And I see him all the time in rings because he was coaching for a while. But he's just, a, he's funny. He's got great, um, he's got a great sense of humor, but a very good hockey player that really deserved probably a little bit more recognition than he got in Ottawa. Well, it's funny talking about Radic Bonk because you see a lot of these young kids coming into the NHL today who are top three, top five draft picks. And if they don't hit right away, then people start thinking, okay, is this guy going to be a bust? Is this guy a mistake? And for Radic, even looking back on his tenure in Ottawa, where it took him a couple of seasons to really season, really get his game going. But once he got it, he became a regular in the Sens lineup. Do you feel if Radic Bonk had played today, do you think that stigma would be on him? Oh, that's a great question. Cause the problem is back then that's the way it was. Like you, it was an old man's league where you didn't come in right away. You spent time playing in the minors until you could play in the national hockey league. And so he went to the IHL and played Las Vegas until he could season his game. 
I, that's a good question. Like if he was surrounded, if he came in as a third line center type and was given some cushion and protection, maybe, but I, I just think the game has changed drastically from the way he played that it's just tough to gauge him coming in right away. I, I mean, he's, he had all kinds of talent, it's just a different game. That's the only way I can put it. I, it sounds like a cop-out, but I don't mean it to be like, it, it's just the skill level. It was a lot slower. They still had the hooking and holding for the most part, right? It wasn't until 0405 they really took it out or after the lockout. I, I don't know that he would have been um, right away as dominant. Uh, I think he would have had to still probably do some either minor leagues, whether it's in North America or whether it was still over in Europe. Well, I know for myself, like when I look back on Raddick's career, there really isn't any specific moment that comes to mind. But I think the one moment that comes to mind, draft day, 1994, the mullet. You know, we talk about legendary hockey here, hair from Yarmer yeah. Yager to Zygmunt Palfi to Ally Afraidy. Raddick Bonk, I mean, you got to say that's got to be on par, if not maybe rivals Yarmer Yager's mullet. He gets overlooked a lot for that. And I think he's still, he's probably top three, four. Like, that was as solid as can be. Because that's like, that's your draft day pick. That's the one you're hanging in your house for the rest of life. You want to see this picture with you around the GM and the president or whoever, the coach. And you've got this mop. Uh, it it was an impressive salad. Like, that's a lot of hair. There was a, such a, it was a, it seemed to be like a Czech thing at the time, or maybe it was both Czech and Slovak, but, but that particular European look was very impressive at the moment. He doesn't, yeah, like that's an all-star performance. Veteran hair on a rookie for sure. Well, it's amazing. And I know even nowadays, like people who are of a certain age, like they obviously wouldn't have remembered Radic Block as a senator, but they remember yeah. the mullet through the blog and the social media account, Bonk's Mullet. That's right. I always I always chuckle at that every time I see it come up. I'm just like, like there's some great names of Twitter handles. Uh, that one really is pretty good. Yeah. Between that and Fittigan's ghost, yeah, yeah. There's there's a few like there's a lot of creative sense social media people. It's a very it, while it's a small market, it's got a huge group of that. Like it's a really big family. I think social media wise, which is way off topic, but I do appreciate the way the social media group is in Ottawa for sure. That's well, true. I mean, the Sens fans have always gone out of their way to really make social media such a great thing with like Box Mullet, Finnegan's Ghost. As much as Sens Twitter does get a bad rap and deservingly, I just feel with accounts like that, it's really, it really, really yep. helps. Yeah, I really enjoy working with Gatineau Greg. He's done some stuff for our show. Uh, he's as twisted as they come. And so I appreciate that about him. Big thank you once again to Brent Wallace from the Wally Mathot Show for recording that. So let's talk a little bit about our own thoughts about Radek Bonk, Tim. And, you know, when talking about Radek Bonk, he's a guy who definitely a fan favorite for a lot of people. And I just think it's funny because when you look at his career, superstar is not the word to use when talking about Radek Bonk because he didn't exactly put up the numbers. But I feel like he's a guy who definitely a big name player, but I don't know if the Senators... I don't want to say the centers didn't really know what they had with Radic. I think it was just maybe they ex- expected him to be another Alexei Yashin. I think so as well. And it's tough when you're looking at some of Bonk's early seasons where you had like Alexei Yashin, 75 points, Alfredson, 71 points, da- even Dag throwing in 50. And then Radic Bonk is down around 18. But Brent Wallace was saying he really started to click once uh, he got paired with Marion Hosa instead of Sean McCochran. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, and obviously we, he talked a little about this. I still crack up when Brett was talking about Raddick and he just says about, because anytime he talked to Raddick, he had to ask him Mary and he just goes, what am I, his fucking agent? <laughs> Such a good story. Oh my God. Oh my God. And you know, it's a shame that unfortunately our listeners can't hear the interview right now because, oh God, it was so good. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. When I'm talking about Ryback, and I mentioned this even in the clip, and it's funny because, you know, when you see a lot of the young guys coming into the NHLs, like the Lafreniere's and these guys who are expected to put up big numbers right away, and they don't, and fans have this thought process, and there's a stigma attached to them where it's like, okay, well, this guy's a top three or top five pick. He doesn't click right away. Is he a bust? Well, it's funny because... We're talking about, say, the 94-95 Ottawa Senators when Radek Bonk placed his first 42 games after getting a bit of seasoning in Las Vegas. There was another person on those teams that was coming in. He was a first overall pick and wasn't exactly putting up numbers either. Patrick Steffen. Uh, Alexander Dag. Oh, I thought you were talking about Patrick Steffen because he played for the thing he played for the Las Vegas he, Thunder as well. Right, but... Uh, in Ottawa, Dag was after his first season, Dag's numbers started to slip. And it's interesting because I think what would happen? Dag's probably the guy who started that sort of, uh, well, is this guy really performing at the level that he was drafted at? Well, I, I get what you're saying. I was just thinking more because, again, Dag had a really good first season and then his numbers dipped. It wasn't like yep. he came into the NHL as a top three pick and put up not great numbers. And I remember even when Steven Stamkos came to the NHL and people were already pegging him as a bust. Maybe it's just, we're not patient in evaluating players. If we're looking at a guy after a young guy after one season and saying, yeah, Lamo, he sucks. Yeah. Especially like top picks. Exactly. I mean, look at Eric Carlson, he, great off, really good offensive numbers, but his plus minus was minus 20 minus 30. Yeah. And yeah, it was really interesting that it one year just all of a sudden turned around. I really like the fact that when talking about Radic Bonk is that, and like I said, with Wally, it was like, there wasn't really a single moment that came to mind except for the day he got drafted with the mullet. Oh yeah. Well, the hair is king. The hair is king, but isn't that hilarious that Radic Bonk played well, he played over 10 seasons in the NHL, and yet that's the one thing he'll be remembered for. Well, it is a, it's a pretty funny thing now that if you really think about it, right? Yeah, that's true. But I do got to say, obviously my own personal experience with Radic Bonk was at the alumni game when he signed my Radic Bonk jersey. I still got to get a shadow box for it too. I still got to put it up on the wall, but. Very jealous. But then again, like look at my Mark Stone silver O jersey. I still got to get a shadow box for that and then put the the ticket stuff from the outdoor game in there. So what I'm hearing is you're just really bad at getting around to buying shadow boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a procrastinator, Tim. What can I say? That's fair. That's fair. So Tim, let's plug next week's cover athlete poll because next week's episode is season five, episode 20 in chronological order, episode 115. Now we got three names on the board, three guys representing three different eras. Sean McEachern, Zach Smith, and of course, Danny fucking Heatley, boys. And uh, Danny fucking Heatley seems to be winning, so 
Let's go. Are we even surprised? No. A fucking superstar. Come on now. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Now, what's also good stuff, Tim, is we need to talk about our week because the last time we recorded was with Alicia Scotelaire. And the episode we did with her was fantastic. She was a really good co-host. I can't think of much from that interview that really sticks out other than she was just a really, really good co-host. Yeah, nope. It was good to get the, get the spicy takes going. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> very true. It's very true. But also what happened last week, Tim, was the Super Bowl. And let me tell you, kind of a dud of a game. Yeah. it. The refs really made a mess out of that one. You know what? I got to say, and I... The, and this, is, this isn't just because my buddy didn't get his $6,000, $7,000. Like, they missed an obvious face shield. Okay, can we talk about that thing? That's got to be one of the slickest moves I have ever seen in my life. Because basically, and Bill Burr talked about this on his podcast too. He said it basically was just like, hey, look over there. And he's just like this. Yeah. Because it's so slick and so subtle. How are the refs supposed to catch that? That's fair. And then the refs then all of a sudden went into makeup call mode. Yeah, I think by the fourth quarter when the refs started calling everything, I think that's when it was like, okay, like this isn't cool. But honestly, for me, I was really surprised they were just letting the guys play. And I think that's something the NFL really should just do because it slows the game down so much. And Or maybe it's because I'm a Seahawks fan and we get called for literally everything. But, you know, I think for myself, honestly, it was one of those things where I – it was one of these things where, like, when I watched the Super Bowl, I didn't mind the game. I thought it was not a bad game, and I was kind of cold a little bit on the halftime show. But the more that I thought about it, the more I'm thinking it's the other way around. The game was kind of a – it was not bad. Like, it was pretty serviceable, but the halftime show was really good. (sighs) It was. I'll be honest. And I went back and watched it, and I was like, it's better than I initially thought. There's a few nitpicks, problems I have with it. I don't know. It's like the only person that I came away thinking like they put on a good perform. Well, it was like Snoop and Mary J. Blige were the only ones that I thought put on a decent performance. Fiddy was meh. Eminem sucked. The stage was stupid. You know what? I think the stage, like with the the all-white mixing board, Okay, that's kind of unique and kind of interesting. And I think for myself, it was kind of neat. I do have, but I think my big problems with the halftime show really came down to just some very nitpicky sort of things. I think for one, I didn't think the vocals were mixed high enough because you kind of muddled. I think one of the reasons why I didn't think the halftime show was that great originally is because the crowd just didn't seem that into it. It was just kind of like, they looked like they were sitting on their hands the entire time. Well, it's... It's not, it wasn't an interesting show. Like, especially compared to the weekend last year. That was, that was actually. The weekend, like, the weekend blew the fuck out. Uh, So that didn't help. There wasn't, like, you have these five legends. They should have had a piece where they were rapping together at the end. Like, that was a massive missed opportunity. Uh, 
this, yeah, the stage wasn't that interesting. And I think my Super Bowl party ended up spending more time making fun of the stage than anything else. And that's one of the big failures of like, yeah, this stage is this big celebration of where a lot of these artists came from. Which is LA. Yeah, it's LA. It's Compton. We're representing Los Angeles. But I think we're But half the fucking crowd couldn't see shit. Yeah. And that's a that's a pretty big flaw. Okay. Of stage design. You know what? I'm not gonna lie to you. I didn't actually think about that. You made a really good point there. Yeah, you're right. Half the people in that stadium didn't even see it. But I think for me, like I go back to what I was saying about me being very nitpicky, was like, yeah, I thought the vocals weren't mixed high enough. 50 Cent's one of those guys that... Oh, Kurt sucks. Very much a product of its time. As much as, like, his first two albums were huge, have you really gone back to listen to those records? Like, Get Richard Die Trying, which is an album I heard a lot as a teenager... That album sounds like shit. It's not mixed well. It just, it doesn't sound good. Well, that's the, the massacre thing. was not, int- was not that yeah. interesting. That's the big thing about 50 cent is I actually know him more for a shitty video game. than his music. My big thing about 50 is just like, there's a reason he, he lost his feud with Kanye. Kanye, that's Kanye, Kanye is the much better artist. Like it's not even close. And and that's the thing is like I Snoop and Dre opened pretty well. Mary J. Blige is oh she's been she's done three Super Bowls, and you can tell she knows how to turn the crowd on. She was visible the whole time, her dancers were great. Fiddy and Eminem were the weak links. Yeah, and they were very weak. Eminem, I could I do see what you're saying there. I think for 50, it was kind of pointless because you have a show that's representing Los Angeles. He's from New York. The only yeah. reason he's a part of this is because Eminem and Dr. Dre had a lot to do with his career. But I think the one guy we need to talk Wait, about. Wait, and yeah, why is Eminem there? He's from fucking Eight Mile. From Detroit. But yeah. you know why? Dr. But Dre. Dre. Yeah. He discovered him, right? And that's why that was like the big selling point. He's a legacy artist now. But one comment I want, before I get into talk about Kendrick Lamar, I do want to comment here is that isn't that amazing when you watch the Super Bowl that year, this year? Three of those artists were some of the most polarizing and controversial figures when they were first coming out. Yeah. Snoop Dogg was one of these guys who was seen as a menace. Eminem, if you well, Stan I, is you gotta realize yeah. if you were not there in the late 90s, early 2000s, he was coming, you have no idea the reaction he got from people. Oh, yeah. Well, I remember in the UK when Stan came out and Stan charted, and here's in the UK at the time, the most popular show on the BBC One, which is the channel that everyone gets, Top of the Pops. was Top of the Pops. They refused to air Stan during the 7 p.m. airing of Top of the Pops. And he got pushed to the late night airing because of just how aggressive of a music video Stan was. Yep. And then the next, the only other song that I'm aware of that they refused to play the whole music video for was rock DJ by Robin Williams. Robbie Williams. Robbie Williams. And not a bad song, actually not a bad song. The, and what's incredible is they actually played half of the music video until his dick comes out. They didn't even give Stan that. No. And it's funny because if you go back and listen to the Marshall Mathers LP, 
which can we wrap our minds for a second here, Tim? 2023, that album is 25 years old. Yeah. Incredible. That album is 25 years old. It's amazing. But I went back and listened to some of the tracks and it's like the, um, try over some of the tracks off of it. Obviously like the big hits, like I think the real Slim Shady or was that the first album? I can't remember which, I think it came off of Marshmallow's LP. I think that came off it. But yeah, you had, you know, Kim, Stan came off of it. It was just like, holy shit, dude. Like, no wonder people thought you were a menace. Well, here's the thing. I don't think modern Eminem can deliver the tracks live the same way young Eminem could because he's too separated from the situation that created him. Yep. He's but you know he's what, not angry and poor anymore. Yeah, once you get to a certain point in your career where you have all the money, you don't need to worry about anything. It's just sometimes it's not there, right? Sometimes you can't bring the energy. Look at a lot of punk bands. Yeah. The Offspring, if you listen to their last album, was garbage. You listen to No Effects, not that great. Bands just can't maintain that. They can't maintain that fire, that kind of energy. And I think that yeah, energy natural. is so it's core to Eminem. Yeah. But I mean, because. The- Eminem's whole thing is that he comes from this completely disadvantaged background. And it's only by chance that he's pulled up and given this opportunity. Like those words need like even curtain call, which is probably the only song he could really still deliver. This doesn't pack the same punch. No, but even the, even encore, the third album he put out was not that good in retrospect. And I argue it wasn't even that good at the time. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And that's kind of my thing about this whole th- the show and the fact that I even forgot Kendrick Lamar was there yeah, is pretty bad. I think for me, and I want to talk about Kendrick Lamar because Kendrick's one of the few guys who, and I was thinking about this. It's like in mainstream hip hop, who could you've really got to represent more nowadays? Because little baby's not big enough in the mainstream public eye. Childish Gambino. Would you have really gotten... I don't uh, think you would play This Is America at the Super Bowl. No, I don't think... I think because people know him as an actor, I don't think it would have worked on that level. Childish Gambino. Tyler, the creator, is popular, but I couldn't see him. Kendrick, I could see because Kendrick has had that sort of mainstream. He's kind of crossed over with a couple of pop hits. But I'm really not crazy about the song i couldn't even tell you what song he played i think it might have come off his latest album but i want to give a shout out to dan o'toole from boomsies yeah. and former tsn co-anchor is that he was talking about this on his podcast and he was mentioning that well two things he says about kendrick lamar he says imagine if he had played swimming pools which i have to totally disagree with that really if you read the lyrics of swimming pool You'd be surprised because, you know, a lot of hip hop and rap music is all about partying and having having a great time. Swimming pools is about the complete opposite. It's about people drinking because they want to fit in or they have emotional pain they're trying to kill. Yeah. It's a really deep song. Yeah. And it's not Super Bowl pump up. And I think that's just the thing about the way the show was constructed. It wasn't a big enough spectacle. But at the same time, it was an interesting, I think in a different venue, it would have been a good show. Like, I think that's where I'm coming from. And maybe without fit, maybe without Curtis and 
maybe without Eminem. Yeah, I think, well, and we're talking about Kendrick here. I think uh, for me, because the album, I think it was called Good Kid, Mad City. The one track off that, because Swimming Pools came off of that too, is the title track, Mad City. I could have seen that being like the big hit that he played off of it. But other than that, yeah, I couldn't really see it. Now, talking about 50 Cent again, going back to what Daniel Tool was saying, he said, what about Montel Williams? Or sorry, Montel Jordan. This is how you, we do it. Can you imagine if he, if they had cut 50 out of it? Yeah. And all you hear is, this is how no, we do. Because he's from LA. Yeah. That would have no, been, been sick. That, that would have been an opportunity right there. Because he's a legacy artist. He came out around the same time that Snoop and those kind of artists were coming out. He's That would have been a big pom-pom hit. This yeah. is how we do it. It's a huge yeah. one. I was a little sad that we didn't get Gin and Juice. Yeah. I think Gin and Juice is a better pump up song. I'm glad we got Family Affair because like that, it that's a classic track. It really is. It really, really is. Well, just that bait, the bop, 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 like baseline plus rap bit is just fantastic. But I'd be really interested to see going forward if the NFL decides to go this route with legacy hip hop artists, especially if they go to the South, like they go back to Atlanta or they go to New Orleans, or they go to Florida. Because think of all the hip-hop and rap artists that come out of there, right? You know, they go to New Orleans. Well, you've got Lil Wayne. Go to Atlanta. Throw a fucking rock, you probably hit some hip-hop yeah. artists from... <laughs> well, you'll hit an Eastside you know, rapper, a Tribe yeah. Called Quest. I mean, obviously, the, you're not going to get the Fugees, but you're going to get, like, a Tribe Called Quest. You would probably get Little John and the Eastside Boys. You'd get the Ying Yang Twins. You'd probably get TI. You'd probably get Outcast. You would get somebody. Yeah. Well, that's the hard thing, too, is just there is a danger with going with legacy acts. Because remember when they went with uh, Boomer Rock, like four or five consecutive Super Bowls, and the only good one was Bruce Springsteen? Yeah. But you know what? Even at the time, I mean, I kind of I, I kind of yeah. get what they were trying to go with because that's kind of the core demographic at the time. You're getting more of a, and especially in the Super Bowl, you're not like yeah, you're getting the, the fans for sure, but you're getting casual audiences, yeah. casual artists that are casual people that might not know who's playing, what teams are playing. But if they see a halftime show and they're like, oh, I know who Bruce Springsteen is, I know who Tom Petty is, I know who Aerosmith is, I know who U2 is or Prince or whatever, right? Well, U2 was interesting because, A, they, they actually played it. U2 plays a good fucking show. You were telling me that you saw them live. I saw them live. They put on a fantastic show. The other thing, U2 has done, that year did, they did a Super Bowl-themed music video for Stuck in the Moment that featured John Madden. So it's like the U2 one actually makes sense. Yeah, but at the time, and I think when they played the one that was like directly after 9-11 down in new orleans and it was more of a okay we need a band that's going to be a big enough artist that casual people will know but you two always had their kind of patriotic side to them yes now well irish patriot irish patriotism yeah but they're very into like americana as well if you look at some of their tracks yeah especially rattle and hum as a as a concept album not as not a concert album yeah did you, do you, what was your thoughts on the movie Rattle and Hum? 
I've still haven't gotten a chance to watch it all, but it's very like as a making of and a coming to America film, it it stays stays together very well. Like it is a good movie. I've never actually seen that myself. So well, they have this long section of them meeting BB King and then trying to figure out where their musical overlap was, and it's actually fascinating because they kind of realize, oh, we come we come from similar traditions, but we go different ways. Yeah, but I think the, the criticism of Rattle and Hum really came from at the time that it came out because U two was a very big band, but they were not the band that are looked at today. No, they were looked at as a really good band that had a couple of albums that were really big and that could have faded out into the nineties. Right. But well, they put out, you know, action yeah. baby, like the post Nirvana nineties rock, where if you were from the eighties, your career was finished by 92. Well, what's weird about you two. And I think it's very controversial and I think it saved the band is they left North. They effectively left the North American space. Like Zuropa and Pop Mart are reputations of North of grunge. They are very experimental and they are frankly moody albums. Mm-hmm. Like one of the anchor tracks of Zuropa, for instance, is about a woman who's stuck in a abusive relationship and she'll probably get killed in it. And like, that's a very grunge type song, but it's not like that kind. It's not a grunge sound. No, it's and very then, a pop sound. Yeah. It's a pop. It's like a pop alt rock sound and then the la- the last track on Zeropa is johnny cash which would have been a ve- is a very 80s thing and it's actually just bono and johnny cash playing a country song in the wanderer and like doing that i think allowed them to keep a presence and produce like a uh, stuck in the moment which a lot, which was the same al- album that Elevation came out, and then Octung Baby, you get uh, Vertigo, which allowed allowed them to reemerge and kind of become the world beaters that they eventually they were. So you know, Tim, we've spent all this time talking about the halftime show. Let's talk about the actual game itself. Now, I, as I said, I mean, it's a game that it's not a bad game, but it's a game that was just kind of a dud, especially when you look at both teams that had all that offensive power, especially the Rams, where you had Cooper Cup, OBJ, Matthew Stafford, Akers. You had all of these guys on this team and really out like OBJ, I will maintain if he had not blown his knee out, he would have been Super Bowl MVP. Probably. Because he was the only guy Stafford, and even Stafford didn't have a great game. Stafford just kind of look a bit sluggish he just kind of he looked like kind of looked like Roethlisberger in his later years where he just kind of lugged the ball to you he didn't really throw he kind of just lugged it well he threw he threw several interceptions against a defense like both the O-line and the D-line for the Bengals just didn't show up Oh, especially for the Bengals, like that O line. I think that's going to be a big, big thing for them in the off this off season is that they're going to have to protect Borrow because you have a quarterback, a very young, very talented quarterback who came off a season-ending injury last year, and he was he set a Super Bowl record sack for getting sacked. Like nobody up to that point, it was Tony Marino, and he still won that fucking game. Yeah, I think for me, even if. 
and I know people would say, oh, the Super Bowl wasn't great because of the games that came before it. I think for me, even if we didn't get Kansas City Buffalo like three weeks prior, the game still would have been a, just a, kind of a dud. Yeah. And it's a shame that this the Super Bowl was so bad that it's probably going to it's going to take a few a bit of luster off the whole postseason, which other than that was a fan like the first round games were they were all right. Yeah. The second round of the conference final games were legendary. They were amazing. Like Buffalo, Kansas City. Well, even Kansas right. City, the Kansas City Bengals game was just like chef's kiss. Yep. And we yeah, it was probably the best postseason in 20 years up until the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, and you can't say that it wasn't like a complete blow because they lost 24 to 21. But for the Bengals, I mean, Burrow didn't have a bad game. Wasn't great, but he didn't have a bad game. I think for him, Mixon not getting it going, I think was a big, big blow for him. Yeah. Although Mixon getting his first touchdown pass. Yes. Was pretty funny. And well, the other thing is, is, if the D line could have just stopped that fourth and that fourth and two, the Bengals would have won the Super Bowl. Yeah, they would have. Yes, they would. Although yeah. I wow. think the Rams still deserve to lose that game because how the hell do you screw up a field goal so goddamn bad during the Super Bowl? Like the game should have been handed out right there. Yep. But you know what, Kansas City, or sorry, Kansas, Cincinnati, they are going to have a good team going forward. When you've got Joe Burrow, who's got so much confidence to him, you've got Chase, that wide out, who's just fantastic last season. And honestly, they have a really good defense. The O line's going to get it better, better for next season. But, you know. Yeah. Well, the big thing is the emergence of Joe Burrow. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Now, I'm sorry for our listeners if you can hear my dog right here because she came into my room while we're recording. Yep. Yes, you did. She's you so did. happy. She is like, you are just so happy, aren't you? Yeah, you're happy at home, aren't you? Yeah. Good girl. Now, sorry, one final thing I want to talk about the legacy, actually. Will you stop it? Jesus Christ. The only thing I can talk about with the Super Bowl and the legacy acts, if they go down to, say, South Florida, like they go back to Miami... I've got one. I've got an artist in mind. Uh huh. Because we're mentioned Montel Jordan, mid '90s club bangers, Quad City DJs. No, just the mashups. Yes. Yes. Just ride the train. That's all you need to do. And this, hey, play the Space Jam theme too, because the Quad City Hell DJs yeah. had that too. Yeah, they did. It was either that or who were they going to get? Fucking Flow Rider. Come on. Quad City DJs, baby. Yeah, I, I'm down for Quad City DJs. Let's go. Very true, Tim. Now, you know what I'm also down with? Is this little segue into my favorite segment, your favorite segment, Top of the Hour. Man, that Super Bowl sucked. Yeah, it's just kind of unfor- just kind of forgettable. Oh, I'm surprised you didn't make any. Money. I even made pulled pork for it. Yeah. Oh, actually, that's right. I totally forgot to mention is that we were playing touch football in the field behind our buddy's place for pre-Super Bowl. Yeah. And I caught one pass. We won three touchdowns to two. The only reason we got two touchdowns is because when the ball got kicked to us, the guy who caught it ran it back to the house twice. <laughs> 
it was sad. It was like watching a bunch of like guys in their late twenties out of shape. My, I feel bad for my buddy Matthias, though. Shout out to him because he sprained his ankle in the field oh. because the field was so soft, and I had shoes on. I didn't have cleats. I had shoes, and my foot got stuck in the mud, and I pulled it out when I was running. Yeah, I remember doing something similar in ultimate frisbee. I had cleats. We were playing at UBC, and I just found I found the pothole. Yep. And in frisbee, you do a lot of pivoting, so I pivoted in a pothole. Oof. Painful, man. Painful. Yep. So, Tim, you know, one of the nice things about doing Top of the Hour is we get to do a little OV wash, and this week is going to be no different. Washington Capitals captain Alex Ovechkin became the second player in NHL history to have 16 seasons of 30-plus goals. Ovechkin drafted first overall by the Washington Capitals in 2004, had recorded 31 goals, 31 assists for 62 points in 49 games for Washington at the time of the story. Pretty cool. Pretty He's cool getting that record. goddamn record. I know, and we mention that every day, but still, when he makes, when he breaks records or sets records like this, you have to think, I would have never thought about this. Having the 16 seasons where he scored 30 or more. Well, that like that's just incredible NHL production. Like the only other player to ever do anything like that's Gretzky, right? Yep. And that was done in a much easier era. Well, granted, the last seven years of Gretzky's career came during the dead puck era. We do have to give him that. But the first part of his career was done in the, hey, your goalie is basically Milhouse era. Yeah, defense, defense. Come on, you call that blowing. <laughs> Actually, shout out to the Simpsons because 20 years ago today, or not 20 years ago today, it would have been 30 years ago today, Homer at the bat debut. Yeah. That is an episode that I think at the time, very funny. I wonder how many young, anyone going back to that episode who is a Simpsons fan that wasn't there would get half the jokes. I think if you go back and watch a lot of those episodes, I think there's just a lot of references they made that would have gone completely over their head. That needs to be a thread on like a Simpsons ship posting page or something though. Yeah. Well, Roger, no. Roger Clements clucking like a chicken. It's just No, and he did that. Uh, good stuff good stuff Pittsburgh Penguins captain Sidney Crosby recorded his 500th career goal during the team's game versus the Philadelphia Flyers Crosby drafted first overall by Pittsburgh in 2005 had recorded 14 goals 32 assists for 46 points in 38 games for Pittsburgh at the time of the story so what's funny about this is Sidney Crosby was at 499 during one of the games that we're going to, sorry, the game we talked about last week. And everyone was like, well, Matt Murray and uh, Sidney Crosby are friends. If Matt Murray lets in Sidney Crosby's 500th goal, Matt will probably never, Matt Murray will never hear the end of it. And they asked Matt Murray about it after the game because Sidney Crosby was held goalless that game. Mm-hmm. And Matt Murray is just like, oh, I didn't even know. So we we're making a big deal out of something that Matt Murray probably really wouldn't have cared about. <laughs> yeah that's true that's true honestly that i think that's really cool and it's really a shame because like crosby and ovechkin these guys like they really come to the end of their careers and i think that's really strange because we were 13 when these guys were coming into the nhl and now we're almost 30 and they're 
they're almost done. They're almost at exactly. It's been just a crazy thing to think about, right? Because here's a kid who here's a guy who went from being Sid the kid to being Sidney Crosby. Yeah, I don't even know the last time I've heard someone use that term, Sid the kid. I'm amazed that Crosby never had a a permanent nickname after that, because it went from being Sid the kid to just Sid. Well, I think the hard thing is he did miss a lot of hockey just due to concussion issues. And yeah, well, it's like even Ovechkin doesn't really have one other than Ovi. And I think that just might be a hockey thing. The grade eight. The great. Oh yeah. I forgot about the grade Grade eight. eight, Alexander the great. Yeah. It's like, we're just hockey just doesn't generate good nicknames. Well, that's not true. What about Chucky? Yeah, I guess. Hot Sam Bacho? <laughs> Sam Bacho might actually be the exception here. I know. It's not like football where you have some cool nicknames, like Sweetness. Sweetness, or even Joe Cool. That's true. Or my personal favorite, Decaf Metcalf. Did Tom Brady ever get a nickname? No, he's just known as Brady. Brady. Washington Capitals head coach Peter Laviolette passed Mike Babcock for ninth on the all-time wins list with 700. Laviolette, who's in his second season as Caps head coach, has recorded a 28-15-9 record this season at the time of the story. I, I like Peter Laviolette. He's a very affable guy, and I still think my favorite quote from Laviolette is, when he went to the Stanley Cup finals with Nashville and it, would be, it was his third time going there. It's like, how does it feel to make the Stanley Cup finals with three different teams? And his answer was, I guess I got fired a lot. Like just a very affable guy and very knowledgeable and is very key. His teams are always upbeat and fun to watch. And I'm glad to see him pass Mike Babcock because, well, Mike Babcock's kind of overrated. And I think Laviolette is underrated as a coach. Yeah. Well, between Laviolette and eighth place, who who's ahead of them right now? Do you know? Not off the top of my head. Let me look that up. Let's okay. See. NHL coach wins. Oh, we have a lit NHL coach register. Okay. The winningest coach is Scotty Bowman with yep. twelve hundred forty-four. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alain Vigneault with uh, 722, then Lindy Ruff at 7 with 772, Paul Maurice at 6th with 775, Al Arbor, 782, Ken Hitchcock, 849, Barry Trotz with 895, Joe Quenville, 6, 000, 600, sorry, 969. So Peter Laviolette could prop this year, he could jump Alain Vigneault. You know, when you said Barry Trotz, my first thought was, wow, Barry Trotz has all those wins. And then I realized, look at the teams he coached for. He was with Nashville right from the beginning. He won a cup with Washington. And now he's in the Islanders winning. Yeah. Well, not this season. Not this season, obviously. But... He's also, yeah. Well, it's insane to think that Barry Trotz has coached 23 years, 1700, <laughs> almost 1,800 games, same with uh, Joe Quenville's almost like 25 years of coaching, almost 1800 games. Like that's just crazy to think about. 
It is crazy about. Now, another story that's actually crazy about is Pittsburgh Penguins defenseman Chris Letang, who became the all-time leader in overtime points by a defenseman with 30. Letang, drafted 62nd overall by the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2005, had recorded six goals, 39 assists for 45 points in 46 games for Pittsburgh at the time of the story. Every time we talk about something to do with Chris Letang, it's always a surprise because you never think about how good of a defenseman Chris Letang actually is. And he's been doing it for as long as Crosby's been doing it, maybe longer. I think what's really funny, crazy about him is that I think the reason why that is, is because one, he plays for the Penguins where you have Malkin, Crosby, Marc-Andre Fleury. You have some really big names on that team, but also look at the era he's playing in, right? Especially for right shot defensemen where you had, Eric, Drew Doughty, you've got Mir Heiskanen in Dallas. You've got these really big names who are winning Norris trophies or should have won scoring titles. But, <laughs> but yeah, Chris Letang, man, the guy's got the hardware. I think he must have a Norris trophy now. Uh, I'm going to check that. Yeah, because I, yeah, I'm kind of, qu- I don't know. Does he have one of all that time? No. Yeah, because I was thinking about that because I was thinking when he came in the league, Lindstrom was still around. Dowdy, Carlson, Vic, oh, Victor Hedman, I guess, is now is winning them all. But Well, it's just tough. To, well, yeah, he's just – there's been so many standout defensemen around Chris Letang that, yeah, he always kind of flies under the radar. But this is a guy who has two Stanley Cups, two-time All-Star, and I think he has the Olympic gold. I just – I doubt he's a Hall of – I doubt he makes it to the Hall of Fame because the production's just not there for a guy who's who people do think of as an offensive defenseman. Well, for me, and I think, I guess when a lot of the offense is driven by Sid, it's really hard to be that kind of guy. But in Pittsburgh, I have a hard time seeing Latang being a Hall of Famer. Definitely not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. he's going to be a guy who if he gets in the hall of fame it's going to be five six years down the road of his first eligibility he'll I be think- a guy that people will finally get around to look at and be like let's have a serious conversation with this guy i think so because yeah he is definitely one of the unsung members of those pittsburgh penguins teams yeah but also he gets just like i said he gets lost in the shuffle when you have the carlson's dowdies I mean, you can throw Brent Burns in there if you want. Me or Heiskanen, Victor Hedman, Lidstrom. So, yeah. So it's it is what it is. Mm-hmm. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman has upheld Boston Bruins forward Brad Marchand's six-game suspension for roughing and high-sticking Pittsburgh Penguins goaltender Tristan Jari on February eighth. Marchand can further appeal to a third-party arbitrator. I love. I loved what he said about what Jari said to him and that would cause it. When Jar- when Marshawn skated by Jari and Jari goes, how do you like that fucking save? <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. That's a fucking beer league trash talk sort of move, man. Yeah. And then it's interesting that Gary Bettman's like, if that's what set him off, this is an entirely appropriate suspension. Do you think Gary laughed about it? Probably. Do you think Batman heard that? Just like, that's oh, actually kind of funny. I'm not going to lie. Um, oh, I was mistaken. Uh, Chris Letang does not have an Olympic gold medal. Mm. But yeah, it just goes back to the point of him being kind of boxed out by other elite defensemen of the era. Yeah. 
Yeah. Honestly, I don't have much to say about the, the Batman story, to be honest with you. It's funny. I don't know why Marshawn thought that he would get, he would win this appeal. Yeah. I think the only comment I can make here, going back to Bill Burr, he said on his podcast last week about this, and he says one of his buddies is a big Penguins fan, and he says, says, yeah, I love it when I hear Penguins fans fucking bitch about Brad Marshawn being dirty. Really? Like in the Penguins, like the Penguins didn't have dirty players? Yet fucking all Samuelson and Matt Cook, Samuelson's in your ring of honor. You can't fucking bitch about Marshawn if you got that guy in your ring of honor. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, because like all Samuel said was something career else. Ending. Yeah. Like Cook, career ending. Ending. Although I think one of the best stories was, uh, did you ever see the clip of Ty Domi punching him out? No. He just went, boom, one punch, and he went solid and just went, boom. Do you think that, that was a career alterer like when we saw Claude Lemieux just turtle? What, Ty Domi punching Samuelson? Yeah, Ty Domi just knocking out Samuelson. Not necessarily, because I think if it was like in the early on middle of his career, I think it would be much different. I think it was at near the end of his career. Right. Because watching Claude Lemieux just turtle on the ice after being challenged to a fight. Which was... isn't the first time he'd done it. No, but I think that was a, that's a career changer. Yep. Just because that's such such an iconic moment but it's definitely the moment that really set off the wings and their dynasty right it's yeah. kind of like if you go back and talk about the senators because 15 years on tuesday the sabers sends brawl in buffalo right. that was the thing that changed the tide for the sends which got them over the hump into the finals Montreal Canadiens have hired former Tampa Bay Lightning captain Vincent LeCavalier and Nick Bobroff as special advisor to hockey operations and co-director of amateur scouting, respectively. LeCavalier has no prior experience in a front office role, while Bobroff served as director of European scouting for the New York Rangers from 2015 to 2021. I'm a little, this is a little weird that it looks like we're starting to get the former Tampa Bay Lightning old boys club here. And this, if this works out great, but this is starting to set off some red flags. I think it's kind of funny because they hired Martin St. Louis head coach. They've hired Vincent LeCavalier. Two guys throughout their career who openly said, we will not play for the Montreal Canadiens. And here they are working for them. I guess it's a little different when your your role is in an office. Yeah. I think for me, LeCavalier is not exactly in a role that he has much power. He's just an advisor. That's true. Where hockey operations, and I think the Montreal Canadiens really are steering in the right direction because they brought in Jeff Gordon. They brought in some really smart hockey people that really write that ship because I think something came out there, I think yesterday or Friday, and they were talking, somebody was talking about the Montreal Canadiens because they didn't really have an analytics department. They didn't really have a proper development for their prospects. Weird. Which, you know, when you look at some of the guys that they couldn't develop, Victor Mette, Alex Galchenyuk, you know, Kota Kekanemi, 
look at some of these guys and you and you're like, oh, these guys are boss, these guys are whatever. Is it the player or is it the team? Yeah. Well, why it's not Gal was it Gal? Yeah, Alex Galchenyuk bounced between three teams last season. Yeah, but I think the Habs development of him was bad. Was bad. And and that's the thing, like the senators have a lot of those same issues, like lack of an analytics department, lack of an off-front office. But the one thing that we've been able to prove that we can do over the last several years is develop players. Yeah. And even like Ottawa's interesting because they they at least have a shadow of uh analytics department. Well, it seems like there just wasn't one at all in Montreal. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that, well, money doesn't grow on trees for this this owner. Which doesn't make any sense because the guy who owns the team is Jeff Molson. Yeah. Note that name. Yeah, the beer guy. Molson. Probably the biggest beer company in this country. Of course, Molson is one of the biggest beer companies in the world. Yeah. So you, you can't tell me there's not money there. It's is he willing to put the proper money into the team? Yeah. It's different if you're like, say, Melnick or some of the owners in Arizona, they don't have the money to put into it. Yeah. There's a difference. So we're going to move on to tr- talking about the Montreal Canadiens, and we're going to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs because the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres have unveiled their jerseys for the 2022 Heritage Classic at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton. Okay, I, I got to make a comment here about the Leafs one because the arenas, the, the Toronto Arenas jersey. Now, we were talking about the reverse retros a couple of episodes ago, Tim, and you, yeah. you were making a comment about the Leafs because I said that the Montreal Expos with the Habs, and I said, oh, yeah, imagine they did something with the Blue Jays. And you're going, well, that doesn't make any sense because they've got some of their old stool teams like the St. Pats or the Arenas. I think when I look at the jersey, the only thing that really comes to mind from a distance, you see the T, but the arenas is in all blue. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. But in the in the history of the Leafs, this is not the first time something like this has happened. And back in the days of Harold Ballard, former oh of the Leafs. So Harold Ballard, this is at a time when the NHL was first introducing nameplates on the jerseys uh-huh. and Harold Ballard was totally against it because it took away revenue for game programs. Yeah. So his solution around this, he says, okay, yeah, we'll put the nameplates on there. The away nameplates were in white. The no, sorry. The home ones were in white. The way were in blue. So they were completely illegible. Yeah. This is what this reminds me of. Who knew that we were going to get the Harold Ballard reunion tour on a Jersey. Right. But outside of that, I mean, it's, a, it's all right. Jersey, the Leafs, I got as much as I hate the Leafs. You want to talk about such an iconic Jersey that they have, but they got all the, all the original six teams. Have. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with any of them. No. And even a lot of the, the remaining early expansion teams have great jerseys too, like the old Pittsburgh Penguins jersey, the Flyers creamsicle. There's a lot of iconic jerseys there. No, I'm not a fan of the creamsicle, I'll be honest. It's an iconic jersey. I'm just not a fan of it. I do want to talk about the Sabres one because, again, this is another jersey that – this is not the first time they've used this look, 
Me and the but the problem is when I saw the picture, maybe it's the photo, maybe it was the lighting. The white looks really faded. It looks like a cream more than anything. Well, that's isn't that kind of some common in these uh, heritage classics jerseys? No. Nope. Like I remember Vancouver and Ottawa having a more cream than white. Well, white. the cannot well the Sens one was different because that was their look. The, that's true. They had the cream the cream color nose. Right. Which either sounds dirty or sounds delicious. Sounds like a cookie. But, you know, yeah, it's all right. Not a fan of it, but it is what it is, right, Tim? It is what it is. Yeah. So we've got a couple of trades to talk about. Now, the big trade from this past week, Tim, the Montreal Canadiens have traded for Tyler DeFoley to the Calgary Flames for a conditional 2022 first, 2023 fifth, Tyler Pitlick, and the rights to Emil Heinemann. Toffoli recorded nine goals, 11 assists for 26 points in 37 games for Montreal, while Pitlick recorded two assists in 25 games for Calgary this season. And another interesting thing to note about Tyler Toffoli is that he has instantly clicked with the Flames, scoring multiple goals in a few games. Yep, even that first goal. Thing of beauty. I mean, you want to talk about a team that absolutely got this guy. Like, I look at this package they give him. I mean, like a conditional 2020 first, top 10 predicted, predicted. So you're not going to get a top 10 pick out of it. Yep. I don't see Calgary finishing in the bottom 10 anyway. But then you look at some of the prospects, and it, they gave up nothing. They really didn't give up much for this guy. No. And I think Montreal, and this is very good work by Brad Living to get his guy early so he could pay a lower price. Yep. Like, yeah, fantastic work. And Tyler Toffoli is going to be, and he still has time on that contract because he actually signed a pretty nice contract with Montreal. Let's be perfectly clear yeah. here. He did. I'm just really, I'm just really sad that it didn't work out for Toffoli in Montreal. I mean, he didn't, you know, 26 points in 37 games is not bad. Well, that team when, was hot. When you fucking only garbage. have nine goals, and it's, it's one that we talked with Chris about this. And I said, you know, Toffoli's going to go to a situation where very offensive-minded Montreal, we have Caulfield, Azuki, some of the other Then the team completely craters, not just into the ground. They cratered into the ground and kept going. Yeah. Well, I think everyone and their dog knew that Dominic Ducharme was not a good coach. I think every, well, everybody knew Montreal was going to have a take a step back. This is they took a step back and fell off the cliff. That's true. Actually, I, I got one for you. The Montreal Canadiens run from going to the Stanley Cup finals to where they are now can be summed up in one Simpsons moment. Homer jumping the gorge. I've got to make it. Homer jumping the gorge. He goes, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. This is the greatest thrill of my life. I'm king of the world. Woo. And then he just fucking misses completely. It, and falls down the gorge. And then you have the medevac helicopter pulling him up and hits his head every bump on the way out. And then they drop him. Yep. That, that is apt. Is that not the perfect representation of the Montreal Canadiens right there? You yeah. go from holy shit, we're in the Stanley Cup Finals to we have eight wins. And I think like it's part February. of it is this is a team that has been completely, completely unstable. 
like I remember watching a game on New Year's Day, Habs versus the the Panthers, where they could only find 18 players to dress, and most of them were AHL players. And it was not pretty. Yeah, but you know what? Like we said about the Habs, it's it is really great to see they're pointing in the right directions because again, the Montreal Canadiens. I don't agree with their policies. I don't agree that you have to be French Canadian. And I get it. It's a longstanding policy with the Habs. But again, what good does that do? The the guy that they hired, I'm trying to remember his name. I'm, I, I apologize to him, is that he's an Anglophone who can speak French. Right. Uh, Hughes. Thank you. Yeah, that guy. Like, you could get a guy who speaks English and have somebody to speak French or learn to speak it. It's not going to be perfect, but the media will like it. If you're trying, I mean, look at the Montreal Canadiens. They've had a year, they've had European captains. So you you can't tell me you have to be French Canadian to be a captain of the Habs. Yeah. No, you have Saku Koivu and Alex Kovalev. Or even Shea Weber. Yeah. Well, the other thing is just like the Habs have had a season from hell. Let's just look at their current injury reserve. Oh, Tim, can, sure. I, can I play the Kirby enthusiasm theme when you do yes. this? Okay, let me, I'll just cue this for you. All right. Druen, Jonathan, Dvorak, Christian, their big offseason acquisition, Sherat, Ben, Savard, David, Edmonston, Joel, Allen, Jake, their starting goalie, Pitlick, Tyler, who they just acquired from the Calgary Flames, Matthew Perot, Matthew, Weber, Shea, long-term team captain, leading best defenseman, NHL player assistance program, Price, Carey. Like, that is all players from their starting lineup, and I just named over 10 players. Yep. Like you are not going to succeed when that sort of thing happens. And imagine that you're also due for a rebuild again, again. And then you miss all these players. Yeah. No shit. You're going to have a historically bad season. Yeah. I I don't know. It's such a shame because the Montreal Canadiens, they're the most iconic franchise in hockey. One of the most franchise, one of the most storied franchise in sports. And look where they are now. Yeah. Well, but, shit happens, right? But to, to quote Goon, you have to be shitty before you can get good. Pretty much. And this is also a team that is past the cap somehow. And like that Jeff Petrie contract is looking kind of suspect. I think the only comment I can really make here before we head off into the next story, Tim, the Montreal Canadiens now have three pit licks. They got Tyler, they got Rem, and they got Ren. That's going to be interesting because that's uh, that's like what Ottawa had three Browns. Yep. It's true, man. The Toronto Police have traded forward Nick Ritchie and the choice of a 2023 third or 2025 second to the Arizona Coyotes for forward Ryan Dezingle and defenseman Ilya Labushnik. Richie recorded two goals, seven assists for nine points in 33 games for Toronto, while Dezingle and Labushnik recorded four goals, three assists for seven points in 26 games, and nine assists 
in 46 games for Arizona this season, respectively. And Zingles on waivers. And Zingles on waivers. So this is this is an interesting trade. And there's a lot of people in Leafslands that are a little worried about it. Ken? Like, everyone knew that Nick Ritchie and his contract had to go because it was dead money on a failed reclamation project. Mm-hmm. Arizona loves these types of trades because they can push themselves to the floor, have a guy who's just going to disappear. And yeah, they get a second round pick. This is Arizona's calling card. This is essentially the Arizona Coyotes version of Robita Island. Yeah. The Arizona Coyotes are Robita Island. Let's be very real here. They're not just the island, Tim. They're an entire nation. All yeah, pretty much. Well, Sh- Shane Goff's Pierre is there. Uh, but what people are worried about is Lubushkev is going to replace Timothy Lindgren and Justin Hole is not going to be the guy out. And Lindgren has really fit in with what the Leafs are trying to do, be this very up-tempo team. And Lindgren is... He, his fancy stats are good and he's actually a pretty good finisher, but he's people are worried that he's going to be the odd guy out mm-hmm. when it really should be Justin Hall who sucks. And this is an, this is an issue that I think this might be a blind spot for Dubas because Toronto probably could have kept Jared McCann if they had just protected seven and three and yeah. let Hall be the guy taken. And they probably would have been better for it. The other thing is it's I'm surprised that Toronto was willing to take on salary. Now, if someone takes Ryan Dezingle off waivers for free, and up, now this would be beautiful if uh, the Coyotes take the, if the Coyotes are allowed to take Dezingle and then trade him again. Yeah. Because then all of a sudden, like, yeah, this becomes a trade where Toronto gets money out. They get a guy who... He does look pretty defensively sound, but he is also an offensive black hole. Like nothing happens when he Ilya Lubushkev's on the ice. Right. For or sense. against. So it's just a very boring player, and I don't see how he fits really fits into the team that Toronto's building. So we're gonna use the expected goals percentages from Hockey viz here. Good. Arizona, 5v5 offense with Labushkin. Minus 28%. Defense goals against with Labushkin on the ice. Minus 13. Without offense, minus 14. Defense minus plus 10, plus 10 goals against on expectation. So with Labushkin on the ice, the offense differential is about 14% down. While the def- the goals against drop by about 23%, if we're to believe the model is correct. So the guy, shit just stops happening when he's on the ice. Yeah, I agree. So, so I, I don't see how, I, I don't like this trade from Toronto's perspective. I would have probably just yeah. dumped Richie. Because I don't think Labushkin fits with Toronto. No. 
No, he doesn't. Maybe they're maybe Dubas is thinking that maybe on a better team, the guy has some ups, offensive upside. But at age 27, I don't see that. No. He is what he is. It's true. Now we're going to close out top of the hour by talking about a, not a suspension. Sorry. We're going to close out top of the hour by talking about a fine. Dallas Stars for Jamie Ben has been fined $5,000, the maximum allowable under the CBA for unsportsmanlike conduct during their game versus the Chicago Blackhawks. It's funny. Yeah. I left. What did he do? So basically, uh, the Chicago player, I guess he had scored or something. He skated by the Dallas bench. So Jamie Ben sprayed him with his water bottle. Uh, we haven't seen a water bottle spray in a while. No. It, the, it is a funny thing. Oh, one last note about the trade between Arizona and Toronto. Have you ever seen Ryan Dezingle and Tyler Ennis in the same room? Well, we are if Ottawa decides to claim them for a third tenure. Yeah. Does angle 3.0? 3.0. Because if they don't, I am convinced that Tyler Ennis and Ryan Dezingle might be the same person. Well, they kind of, they look alike too, right? Do you think there's a Maddie Go Sense face mash of those two? If there isn't, we need to get them on that. All righty. Well, Tim, that wraps up top of the air for this week. We made only one thing. It's time to start talking about some games. Now, we've got four games on the schedule. We've got the Sens versus the Capitals. Blues versus the Senators, Sens versus the Sabres, and the Bruins versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Capitals. This is a 4-1 to one Senators victory. Sens goals are scored by Alex Formatin. Adam Gaudet, Brady Tuchuk, and Connor Brown. Nicholas Brackstrom got the lone Capitals goal. Shots for 34-26 for Washington. Alex Warrington opens the scoring, hammering one home to make it 1-0 Senators. Adam Gaudet scores to make it 2-0, sliding one home with a slick move. Chef's kiss, so good. Nicholas Backstrom scores to make it 2-1 Senators, cleaning up Alex Ovechkin's rebound. Brady Tuchuk scores to make it 3-1 on a loose puck. And Connor Brown scores to make it 4-1 Senators, which would be the final. So, of course, I think let's watch it because, again, we were recording last week, but also Super Bowl. Yep. Overall, it was a, a very strong game played by the Ottawa Senators. Brady Kachuk was dialed in and probably had one of his better performances as an Ottawa Senator on both ends of the ice, playing hard, and he saved a goal, too. He did. And Brady Tuchuk, again, one goal, one assist for two points on five shots. And I got to say, man, I would have hated to have been Connor Brown in that position when he scored. On all fours, his ass is towards him, and you're thinking, God, don't hit me in the nuts with the puck. My face is already broken. Please don't. This, this was a very good defensive effort by the Ottawa Senators, too. Just they were honest start to finish and they got fantastic goaltending too. Forsberg mm-hmm. played incredibly a 0.97 save percentage and Washington had some 
choice opportunities. They did. They absolutely did. Now, the, one of the funny things I was watching the condensed game, and we're going to talk about this, Alex Formaton, one goal on two shots. Did you happen to notice the song that the Capitals DJ played after he scored? I didn't. I love when uh, away DJs get a little salty because one of the things I noticed is that watching on, on the condensed version is that when they're showing the replay of the Formerton goal, the DJ plays fuck you by CeeLo green. <laughs> I noticed that. And I'm like, that's funny. That's funny. It's just a funny song too. It really is. But unfortunately, Thomas Shabbat gets injured near the end of the game. Yeah. And actually let's talk about this because one thing I do have in my notes here, and this is not the only hit that happened because Tom Wilson hits Shabbat and Nick Paul answers. Fair enough. Alex Ovechkin hitting Brady from behind. When your captain gets hit from behind, it's like, okay, you serious? Cause this is not the first time this year that Alex Ovechkin hit a guy from behind into the glass. No. And that's one of the things where, Alex Ovechkin definitely gets the benefit of the doubt more often than he probably should with those sorts of hits. I'm actually surprised Obi hasn't been suspended. Yeah, probably because his hits aren't super dirty. I think that's why if he was blowing out knees and shit like that, like Matt Cook used to, but or Tom Wilson or Tom Wilson, right? Because I'm I'm very surprised that the Shabbat hit didn't get supplementary discipline because it was a nasty hit. Like it was too high. It was. It really, really was. Now let's talk about Adam Goddard for a second here, Tim, because he had a goal on two shots. And I gotta say, as nice as that goal was, the Selly drops to one knee and he goes, he gives him one of the yeah, right on. And there's actually a Twitter page and yeah. it's called Sends Picks That Go Hard. I, hard. I submitted that at, through the show. That picture went hard. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. And I I have time for Adam Goddard. I, I do. really do. Because he's he's a guy who he I wouldn't mind seeing him around next season, maybe on a one-year contract. Well, actually, what is Adam Goddard's contract here? Because he's a he's a good fourth line type player. Mm-hmm. A Goddard is RFA at the end of the year. Okay, yeah, I'd like to see him and Ennis return for next season. Maybe, maybe not Ennis. Like, if Sokolov beats, if Sokolov looks like he's ready for NHL duty next season, I don't see a spot for Ennis. But, okay, that's fair, but at the time... If we keep Godet. That's a thing with me right now, is that, is Sokolov going to be ready for next season? He has looked very good in the AHL, and he's looked he, he has looked pretty decent in NHL time. Actually, I'm surprised at how good both him and uh, Matt Kastelik have looked in their auditions. Same with Parker Kelly. Parker yeah. Kelly, I thought it's not too, been too bad. Oh, for sure. The one thing that's really interesting about Kastelik is that he has been very good defensively, which is the hardest part for any NHL player breaking into the league is being good defensively. Uh, the off His offense isn't going to be his calling card. But the defense is good. It is. Now, the last note I have here, Chris Tierney, two assists. That's it. 
they were they were good passes dude like i guess it's it's funny because i remember when we had mike gold on the show he basically said that like chris tierney probably gets more shit than he deserves especially if you're amos especially if you're amos, amos but uh, shout out amos at, at amos 30 but it's weird that he does have this he has an okay finish and his passing's not terrible but the hard thing is is Chris Tierney is another one of those guys that's kind of an offensive black hole. Mm-hmm. Like things don't happen when Tierney's on the ice, either side. It's true. I'm not gonna lie, my dog is like super comfy in a sitting position right now Aww, because she's so squirming. Like that's the only thing. Because she was asleep, we hit record. Now she's moving. Let's move on to. Uh, sorry, I was gonna with my notes here let's move on to the second game tim the blues versus the senators this is a five to two blues victory blues goes scored by Vladimir Tarasenko with two brendan shea robert thomas and oscar sunquist sense goes scored by tams and parker kelly shots for 35 20 for st louis St. Louis outplayed Ottawa throughout this game. The Blues came out with aggressive offensive attack, which didn't seize as the game went on. Ottawa were slow to start, but would get their game going a bit. However, it was not enough as the Blues would secure the W. Ottawa was gassed this yeah. whole game. It Yeah, it was, it was really sad. Like, right from the get-go, they were just like, just hold on and hope they don't score. Yeah, and you can't even really blame Forsberg. Sorry, you can't even blame Murray for this. No, nope, I have it in my notes too, right? Like all of those goals were nice goals. Yep. Like especially the Sun, like Sunquist being able to get right in, get that shot in. Murray had no hope on any of that. And I really, I felt for the Senators too because they had played a fuckload of hockey they have and the february is going to be a killer for them but you know march looks like it's going to be a lot lighter thank god but so we'll have to see but yeah matt murray had 27 saves 0.871 save percentage i i agree with you i didn't think he looked bad in this game i just i feel bad for him because he got hurt again yeah totally and matt murray it's been really unfortunate because every the guy clearly is an nhl goalie at this point but every time he gets something going he just gets hurt yeah he's kind of like robin leonard when leonard played here you can tell he was talented but he just couldn't stay healthy and that's i guess that's gonna be the worry about the matt murray contract is can matt murray stay healthy yeah and does ottawa have an answer for that going forward and one has to hope that the anton fours if the Anton Forsberg we're seeing is the real deal, I think it might be worth the Senators taking another short-term contract on Forsberg, like one year, yeah, to give Gustafsson and Mendelize time to cook in the AHL and see if Murray can continue an NHL career. Well, just because Goose really hasn't played well in the last several games he's played in so i don't think it's a bad idea but one guy who actually did play really well in this game was eric brashram with two assists it's he yeah like a multi-point night for brandstrom we like that the hard thing is is brandstrom 
they did not match up well in their key matchup. Branstrom and Branstrom and Brown did not match up well against Krug and Falk. They were bet they were much better against uh, Mikola, Mikola and P- Colton Pareko, but the Krug Falk just had had a very strong night against them. Have we mentioned on the, I think we've mentioned on the show that Chelsea went to school with one of the guys in the blues. Yep. She met, uh, she went to school with Colton Pareko. Yeah. And actually it was funny all that broadcast. Uh, Jamie McLennan also mentioned that he was also from St. Albert. He is. So the St. Albert crew represents apparently. Yeah. Colton noodles, Chelsea, Chelsea, <laughs> yeah. Tim Stutzla. One goal on two shots. I, I got to say on that goal, though, honestly, he was very lucky to have not lost the puck on that because he looked like he didn't even have control half the time. I mean, are we ever really in control, Tay? I mean, I am right now. Okay. Thanks, thanks. But it was a really nice backhand. You got to give him that. It was. And actually, you know what? I'll, I'll mention this comment I'll have here. Yeah, in during the Bruins game, I'll, I'll bring up the comment I have in mind. But yeah, honestly, no, it was not a bad game. And same with Connor Brown. Now, even though Connor Brown had five shots, I didn't mind how he actually played against St. Louis in this game. Yeah, it was the Connor Brown, Nick Paul, Brady Kachuk line was probably the lone bright spot for the Ottawa Senators forwards, other than the Stutzla goal and Kelly getting his NH getting an NHL marker. Mm-hmm. They were consistently stirring the pot for Ottawa. And it's one of those things where it's like, the more I see play like this, it's very hard for me to say, yeah, we should sell on Carter Brown and Nick Paul because we're getting to the point where, and this is the interesting thing that Pierre Dorian said this himself in his interview with uh, Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic. I keep almost saying Pierre Lebrun of TSN, but... As we Does said, he not work for TSN anymore? no, he's with the athletic. Oh. I think Pierre Lebrun also got let go. It's either he got let go or he left very shortly after because okay. he is now with the athletic. Oh, okay. So Pierre Dorian was saying, it's like, yeah, we might just keep some guys around because I'd rather have these guys teach the young guys instead of uh, just reap maybe a sixth. Yeah. And I think for Nick Paul, it's like, will you get more than a third round pick for him? If the answer is no. Yeah, it depends who wants to do that, right? Because the thing is, if you if you sell a third, you have to do it with the mindset you're going to keep them. Yeah, like... Draft picks in the first three rounds, you have to keep that mindset. If it's from like four to seven... Well, I think the thing about Nick Paul is like, even at third round pick is... You have to kind of look at it, it's like, one in hand versus two in the bush. Yeah. And Nick Paul brings, he is a very good, like a very good role player. And I think he's the type of veteran, like as the Ottawa senators get older, he's the type of guy that you probably want to keep around. So the question becomes is how much would you pay Nick Paul to stay on the team? And how much would you get for him at the trade deadline? Because once the trade deadline passes, people aren't, no one's going to trade for the rights to sign Nick Paul. This isn't the, actually, I don't think anyone really trades for signing rights anymore. There was that brief period in 2011 that people did that. Yeah. It was dumb then. And it's not going to happen now. No, because it's honestly, 
Yeah, it, it's. I'm trying to think of the word here. It's one of these things where it's like, you can do that, but will they sign? No. So you're taking a gamble on it's going to work. And it's a pretty low event gamble, right? Because these people, unlike the hometown disc, the only thing that you are really trading for is that hometown discount. Sorry, not the hometown discount, the eighth year that you can put on a contract. Yeah. That's the only thing you're trading for. Yes. And it, it should not be worth, it's not worth that much. And I don't think Nick Paul's getting an eight-year contract anyway. So there's no, once the trade deadline passes, you aren't getting anything for Nick Paul. So the question then becomes is, is the, re, like, is it a blow your socks away return? Like JG Pajot, if it is, then yeah, you take it. If it's not, and you think that Nick Paul's going to sign for an amount you like, then even if it's a good return, I think you keep Nick Paul. I agree. So, yeah, I don't have any more comments to make on this game. If you want to have to the third game of the evening. No, I don't think I have other than that uh, third line plug, Eric Brandstrom appreciation was in full effect. Absolutely, man. Yeah, because while you didn't really tweet much over this past week, except for last night. Yeah. Twitter games are strong, so I'll give you that. Sens versus Sabres. This is a three to one Senators victory. Sens goals were scored by Zach Sanford, Austin Watson, and Brady Dechuk. Kyle Ocaposo got the lone Sabres goal. Shots were 27 24 for Ottawa. A somewhat even game overall. Both teams played decent in the first, creating scoring chances until Ottawa got on the board and led the way to the W. So, sorry. From what I saw here, from. Oh, yeah. So. We, we, you and I talked about this already off air. I won't go into it, but yeah, I watched the first period. I had to condense the watch. So if my recap there is a little bit off, yeah, why? So I would agree that the game was a bit kind of even, a bit more even during the first period. Buffalo disappears after that. They become like, and I think this this might be the real Buffalo Sabers. This is a team that can't string two passes together. Like just terrible hockey mm-hmm. the ottawa senders looked like the goddamn harlem globe trotters the only thing that made this game look as close as it was was craig anderson yeah and correct me if i'm wrong is this the first time i don't think it's the first time he's played against the Sens since he left has he this is the first time he has played against the ottawa senders since he left because in 2020 we didn't play any teams in the u.s where he was playing as taxi squad slash playoff goaltender for the Washington Capitals. That's right. And then he was injured in our first meeting, first two meetings against the Buffalo Sabres earlier this year. Yeah. And then Aaron Dell got sensed. Yeah. After he just blatantly uh, interfered with Eric, sorry, uh, Drake. Drake Batherson, but I digress, but man, Buffalo fucking sucks. And that was probably one of the most boring NHL games I have watched. You know, the more that I was reading about this, the more I'm like, man, I'm glad I didn't watch the entire game. But I do have some notes here. So Eric Branstrom. Now, Branstrom got benched after after two bad penalties in the first period. I'm going to go, yeah. you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say it. I don't know if you're going to agree with me on this. I don't think DJ Smith is in the wrong to do this. No. Branstrom was off his game. What's interesting is that Eric, Eric Branser takes a third penalty in the second after he's unbenched and DJ Smith lets him 
puts him back on after the penalty kill is done. And Brandstrom gets two, like leads to a fantastic scoring chance. And I think DJ Smith made the correct decision in both cases because it gets Eric Brandstrom a chance to reset. And he comes out and plays a much better hockey game after that. And even with a benching, Eric Brandstrom still played 19 minutes. Yeah. It's true, man. Now, another defenseman who I'm really happy he's having a really nice turn of success lately, Nick Holden with two assists. Nick Holden has been very good for the Ottawa Senators. I remember at the beginning of the season, sorry, during our offseason episodes when we traded Dadanoff for Nick Holden, my view is that if Nick Holden can still play, he would be someone who Ottawa could actually get a decent amount of ice out of. Because again, in Vegas, even though he was mostly taxi squad minutes for the end of his time in Vegas, he was still an effective second line quality guy. And we're seeing that in Ottawa here. Mm -hmm. And he's a guy who's pushes the puck the right way. He's positive for goals for negative for goals against. And what's interesting is that as far as defense goes this season, he's, he's in the top 25% of NHL defensemen. So he is playing legitimate. He is playing second line, second line defenseman quality minutes. And he's playing them legitimately. The Ottawa Senators won the the Dadanov trade. Yeah. Cause is Dadanov even playing much in Vegas right now? No, I don't. I haven't checked. I could quickly check, but. Nick Holden has been fantastic for the Ottawa Senators. And I would be a little skeptical of, of resigning a veteran, like a 34 year old veteran for anyone other than Nick Holden. Nick Holden, again, is the sort of guy that you want mentoring your young guys. I've been very happy with him so far. It looks like his time on ice in like he is playing kind of secondary minutes in Vegas and like he's actually able to drive offense pretty well, but it's just the scoring's not there again. And as far as forward ice time, he yeah he's not playing a ton. Okay, let's see. Yeah, he is. He's probably playing. Uh, he's probably playing third line minutes. Okay, but he's no longer. But he's not a third line plug. No, but it's like. $5 million for third line minutes. No. I think, I think he's challenging Colin Greening here. Although I, I really can't fault Dorian for that contract. And Dorian looks pretty good for getting out of that contract. And it's just a shame how that whole thing went down because I really wanted Anthony Duclair to stick around. Me too. Now, a guy who's been making a name for himself recently during his time in Ottawa, Austin Watson, one goal on the lone shot. And I, I gotta say these last couple of games, I've been really, really happy with Austin Watson. And I'm proud to say that he will be the inspiration for the episode title. Oh, what do we got? Well, we got to wait, Tim. I'm not patient. I'm sorry, Tim. You're going to have to wait and see what I got in mind. Fine, fine. But Austin Watson, what's interesting is that 
he has legitimately been a better player in Ottawa from when he left Nashville. He's gone from being one of the worst defensive players in the league to being average. Yeah. And for a fourth line guy, you cannot ask for more. But he's also a guy who's proven that he's got his demons behind him, right? And could be a, you know, a really productive player out there. Yeah. And what's interesting is in his early career, Austin Watson was a very good defensively minded forward. Part of that was probably tutelage under Barry Trotz. Yeah. Uh, And as far as being an offensive black hole, which he definitely was towards the end of his tenure in Nashville and beginning of tenure in Ottawa, it's normalized back to being pretty average. And that's, that's a sort of player again, sort of like, sort of like Adam Gaudet that I have time for. And I think Austin Watson being a guy who was able to get his demons behind him and he can just be this late career, very average, very stable NHL player who can still finish. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're talking about like his finishing has been above league average. That's very surprising. It's not much over league average. It's like, 51st percentile as opposed to 50th percentile but still pretty good he's the sort of guy that i i don't mind him staying around no i would be very very happy especially in that fourth line role right so yeah and that's the funny thing is that i think the ottawa senators they're starting to solidify as a team and that's i think that's the big theme and we're going to talk about it in the boston game where i honestly think the ottawa senators deserve better against boston but this game against a legitimate dog shit bottom feeder, mm-hmm. it shows you that Ottawa is past that phase of the rebuild. Yeah, but the funny thing, and even in these games, like when you're beating legit opponents, like you're beating Washington, or you know, you came back against Boston, even though you didn't get the W, you're proving that this team's got a lot of fight and they've got talent, and hey, we're shooting in the right direction finally. And remember. They're doing this without Josh Norris, one of legit, one of the best shooters in the league. They're doing it without Eric. Sorry. They're doing it without uh, Drake Batherson, who is on the path to being a legitimate NHL superstar. And Thomas Shabbat. And Thomas Shabbat, who is one of the best defensemen in the game. The Ottawa Senators. I, here's the thing. Looking at what, like taking out November, which was COVID-mired. Yeah. I I actually don't think Pierre Dorian deserves the dunking on that he gets for saying that the rebuild is done. The rebuild is done. Yeah, and he's even come out this past week and said that this is going to be the last offseason where the Sens are a seller. Yeah, because I think had the Ottawa Senators not had just a lost month due to injuries, due to sickness and due to just kind of dj smith not really assembling the team right ottawa ottawa would probably be closer to detroit and columbus than new jersey and the new york islanders true let's move our attention to the fourth and final game of the evening bruins versus senators this is a three to two bruins overtime victory bruins was scored by jake debrusque brandon carlo and david pasternak in overtime 
Sentence goes to scored by Tim Stutzler and Nick Holden. Shot for 33-31 for Boston. An exciting and fast-paced game throughout. Both teams played physical and created scoring chances throughout, which resulted in both teams getting goals. However, Boston were the ones to secure the W. Jeremy Swayman stole a win here. He did. He played great, man. But let's not sell Anton Forsberg short, though. He no. really solid this game. Well, here's the thing. By Hockey Viz's model, Ottawa, three expected goals. Like, Ottawa just played the better game, and uh, Money Puck has a similar read on the game. This is a game where I felt the Ottawa Senators played fantastically. Like, they drove the net hard. They they played Boston to a man very, very well. And I, I think Ottawa deserved to win this game. Jeremy Swayman played a fantastic, fantastic game. And he's... He stole the game-winning goal from Stutzla. Yeah, I did. And that was a fantastic save. And you could tell that Ottawa was gassed after that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I do still have some players we need to talk about. Let's talk about Eric Brandstrom. Two shots in this game. I mean, for the guy who took Tom Shabbat's spot while he's been out, this guy's unreal. And that Him and Zub. Him and Zub. Well, here's the oh, thing. Sorry, I got a I got a name for the line. Branzub. Branzub. Well, here's the thing with Branstrom. He played 26 minutes. He played a Shabbat game. Sorry, he played 26 minutes in regulation. Yep. He played Shabbat minutes. And he looked fantastic. And the fake pass play. If Tyler Ennis got a slightly better stick on that, that would have been a goal. People are like, oh. Branstrom should have shot there. No, the fake the fake shot pass was the the right play. It was a very creative play, and Branstrom was doing that all night. So Austin Watson. Now this is a guy that we got to talk about once again. He had an assist and one shot. The hit on Parker Kelly. I mean, this is one that very borderline between dirty and clean. And this was a very physical game. Both teams were throwing hits like nothing. But when you see Kelly's head snap back like that, your first reaction is, oh, God, he hit him in the head. Yeah. And looking at the replay, it was a high hit. Yeah. Um, Gary Galley tr- tr- like definitely thought it was clean. I disagree. Uh, That's why I, I don't it. think it's worth supplementary discipline above a fine. I don't think so. And I don't think he's going to get anything for it. But, yeah, I think for me, when I see the Sens games on Sportsnet, I have a thing where I just I don't listen to the commentary. I'm either watching The Simpsons or I'm watching something right. on my laptop while the games are going on. Well, what's odd is that Gary Galley, he's old fashioned more than he's because like my issue with the panel is it's clear that they don't care about the senators. I don't get that read from Gary Galley anymore. What I get is that Gary Galley is just a really old fashioned commentator. Yeah. To, probably to his detriment. Because one of the interesting, his big comment is like next year, this team's going to be good. And like, he was, he was gushing about like the play of guys like Zub and Branstrom and Brady Kachuk. Cause like, yeah, Brady Kachuk is definitely a Gary Galley player. Oh yeah. And it's nice to see that like, even the sports net commentators are starting to notice this. And 
yeah, it'll, it will make the sports net national games more appealing to listen to where they clearly care about this team as well. So it's like Gary Galley's another one of those guys who I think gets dumped on more than his fair share. That's fair. Uh, yeah, I just for me, I don't know, maybe because like we've seen Sportsnet and they've had some terrible commentators. I think when I, they're on Sportsnet, I don't listen to it. But even That's when fair, yeah. the TSN, when they do it, when Gord Miller's on there and Noodles is on there, I listen to it. Oh, of course. That's the thing, though, is it's night and day difference between what Sportsnet has and what TSN has. Gord Noodles, Cheryl Pounder, Mark Mathot, and I am blanking on the name of the the woman that they have to play host. Oh, that I they know, split I... time with uh, Darren Drake. Straight, not Dregs, uh, with uh, James Duffy. No, no, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Like the TSN crew, crew is great. Well, and you forgot Gary Ock, regardless Gary of what Oak, people yeah. may think of him, right? But. No, Bruce is fine. Not never had an issue with him. Let's talk about Nick Holden. One goal on three shots, two words, safety first. Safety first. And it was a beautiful shot too. And I think the Ottawa Senators, they are, like with the way they've lined their defense up these past two games, they've split up Brandstrom and Josh Brown. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, and they've played Holden with Zaitsev. And the Holden Zaitsev pairing looks competent. And that's praise to Nick Holden. Because, like, it is very tough to cover for Nikita Zaitsev. And the Holden Zaitsev pairing really suppressed the Berger online. And that's all you can really ask for out of kind of your shutdown pair. And it let the Branstrom Zoo pairing go to town on the Nozick and Studnika lines, where they ate them alive. And it allowed Formant and Stutzla Godet to get some fantastic chances. So DJ Smith has managed to make the best out of this bad situation. And what's interesting is, and I actually wouldn't mind when Shabbat comes at, back and just Victor Mete steps out of the rec- rotation, you run Branstrom Zub, Holden Zaitsev, Shabbat Brown. That probably won't be as bad as Shabbat Zaitsev, which is a pairing that clearly doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Final guy I want to talk about, Tim. Tim Stutzla. One goal on three shots. And honestly, he looked fantastic in this game. Now, one of the big things I want to mention here, Tim, and this is something I noticed in last week's games, Thomas Shabbat's tape job. Now, normally Tim Stutzla has like that one strip. Yeah. That's the strip that he was running. Now he was doing a full, like he taped it all the way around the blade. Yep. So the bottom of the blade was covered. Yeah. Now to illustrate what I'm saying here, I'm going to grab my stick because I actually tape it this way. Oh, you've got, you're playing the Stutzla tape. Okay. Well, check this out. Okay. Okay. So you see my stick, right? Look at the bottom. There's nothing there. Right. Okay. So basically the entire blade is cut. Well, I do half blade, but yeah, he tapes it. And I really noticed this. He tapes everything but the bottom. So the bottom is just the blade. First comment, 
Tim Stutz, like, get your own tape job. That's my tape job. But, but <laughs> second of all, I really noticed that. I'm thinking, well, it's working for him. It is. And now I'm doing it. And it's just like, it's amazing. Well, that's the thing is like Tim Stutzla. I mean, in fairness, I'm using black tape. It's, I mean, you can yeah. notice it there, but I mean, if it well, was white, you would notice. Tim Stutzla and Tyler Ennis were the biggest players for both teams in terms of expected goals. Ennis with, Ennis with half 4, 0.4 of an expected goal. Tim Stutzla with half an expected goal and a goal score. Mm-hmm. Like, like Ottawa just came to play. And the forwards did a fantastic job. Yeah. And of course, Tim Stutzla in the game today, he scored. He's alone sends goal, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, that's Igor Shatterskins played a very good game. That's what I was As he does. But I think the Ottawa Senators, this, the overtime loss, I think they could feel good about it. Because they played Boston hard. They deserve better. I think going forward, I wonder if Boston-Ottawa becomes a rivalry because of just how physical that game was i would love to see it and it was kind of incredible that only ottawa got a power play yeah because the refs weren't calling much but they no throwing they let, beautiful hits and yeah like it was old school hockey at its best it was just a really good game like if you if you didn't get a chance to watch this game i don't even know if the condensed game would do it justice no. just give it a watch yeah, totally. And this is a game that I'm very happy that I got a chance to sit down and actually watch last night. So, yeah. So, yeah, I don't have much more to say about it other than this was a fantastic game. Same. I mean, yeah, I can't really make any more comments on these games. Um, is there anything but it's been really, about? it's been really, really encouraging to see Ottawa play so well against actual playoff teams. It is true. And even games that we lose. The fact that you can tell that we're playing really hard. We're yeah. not just giving them a W. No, and I've been really happy with Ottawa's offensive defensive pairs. They have been moving the puck well. They've been playing aggressively and they haven't given an inch. They are they're great. And I can't wait for Ottawa's top line to come back reform. And yeah, this is going to be a very exciting team. And imagine when Sanderson shows up. Season six is going to be lit. Oh, it's going to be sick. We're we're going to see what Pierre Dorian's been building towards, and I think I think we're going to like it. I think so. So Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on these games. If you just want to head off into the close for another episode, yep, let's do her. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you enjoyed it because believe me, Tim and I. Love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At the link, plus our Twitter. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger. I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-I-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you just want to give your thoughts on Radic Bongs being our cover athlete for today's episode, shoot an email, guys at Gmail. Com. Okay, Tim. So for the games of the week, as it currently stands, this afternoon the Ottawa Senators were at home to play the New York Rangers, which I believe we lost two to two one. Two to one. It was a very well. I think the Ottawa Senators played well, especially on the end of a back-to-back. Tuesday, we'll be playing the Minnesota Wild at home, and Saturday, the Montreal Canadiens are in Ottawa to play the Sands. It's going to be our team versus Scott's team. 
going to be a good episode. Yeah. Well, what's kind of crazy is Money Puck has their live simulations of the Ranger Sens game, and they called it a toss up. Yeah, but isn't even that after funny, the game, one's a playoff team and one isn't. No. Well, here's the thing. I think the Ottawa Senators, they're a good team. Goose played a good game. Like, here's the thing. I think Ottawa just needs their needed their goaltending. The goaltending is the goaltending's probably on its way, if not next season, the next the season after. I think that the Ottawa Senators are gonna be a playoff mainstay for the next couple of years. And I hope they're good. I, I think they'll be good. I think so. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sands, guys. Woo! Saying that